Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty, for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Give me a call or visit bullrealty.com. Well, today we're going to talk about the industrial sector. Uh, and as everyone seems to know, industrial has been doing very well even uh, before COVID. But what's happened since COVID? Uh, where, where are prices and, and where are volume? Where's demand? Where's new supply? Is this really going to be the, the uh, preferred sector moving forward? Let's find out. Please welcome my guest. It's Jim Costello. He's Senior VP with Real Capital Analytics. Jim, good to see you. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, Jim, my first question for you is really kind of cap rate and value trends, you know, for this second quarter as compared to historically, kind of what, what valuation trends are you seeing either in, in pricing or in cap rates uh, since COVID kind of started? Yeah, you know, let's start with cap rates. Cap rates uh, have been uh, declining for the industrial sector uh, before COVID. Uh, the low interest rate environment and the understanding that shopping was moving online and so things had to be stored on the back end uh, in a warehouse as opposed to retail location, you know, that, that had been changing investor perceptions in the sector and it had uh, pushed uh, cap rates uh, to, to record lows. Uh, you know, this kind of uh, uh, trend is something that has uh, uh, continued throughout the, the COVID period uh, you know, even though deal volume is off uh, some from, from last year, uh, it is not uh, uh, something where investors have uh, changed their opinion on the sector. If anything, it's reinforced the view that more shopping will be done online and less in person, and you know, cap rates have uh, remained low throughout the period. And what are some uh, cap rate uh, examples and ranges you're seeing? Well, the national average, you know, for the second quarter, uh, we, we came in at a 6.2%, but that's high relative to some of the deals that are driving activity. You're getting four cap rates for uh, large logistics facilities, particularly if it's got an e-commerce tenant and it's well leased over an extended period. Uh, you know, th that type of activity is, uh, uh, you know, and that kind of pricing and four cap rates, you know, sort of anything in the four range, is you know, in previous periods the kind of stuff that you'd see some uh, deep-pocketed uh, cross-border investor pay to buy an office tower in Manhattan. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you know, the the relative preference for the income stability that comes with those uh, logistics facilities tied to e-commerce is uh, clearly evident there. Yeah, and. Have you had time in the industrial real estate world for rental increases to increase the, the pricing uh, and the sales prices of these properties? You know, the, uh, the rental increase, that's not something that, the, that we're tracking, um, but it's something that, uh, um, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the sector, you know, from what I understand, has, has a bit of a have and have not. There's certain types of properties, you know, the, where the e-commerce activity is really driving it, where that is uh, 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 
where that is growing. I mean, you look at the prologist earnings calls and you know, groups like that are certainly seeing uh, improvements. But the industrial sector overall, you know, the, the U.S. economy shrank by a third in, in uh, the, the second quarter. We've got um, uh, a lot of challenges out there. Uh, so some smaller industrial properties that maybe just helped the local economy, say a plumbing supply uh, facility, um, you know, just uh, you know, any kind of parts supplier in a small industrial uh, asset. You know, that, that's probably where we're hurting because those people couldn't get out and about to uh, uh, see their clients. Yeah. And you know, it's going to be uh, – it's going to be a bit of a have and have nots. Right. And what do you see for uh, flex properties? You know, the flex property sector, uh, we saw a little bit more transaction activity for those in the second quarter than we did for the, for the warehouse space. Uh, and, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, part of it is that there's, there's, you know, for the larger warehouse space, there's a bigger divergence on views uh, between buyers and sellers on expectations of values. Anybody who owns a big warehouse space thinks it's uh, the cat's meow right now and wants a higher price because of everything moving online. Flex, there's gonna be a little bit more realism that uh, we've, we've seen some challenges. And so buyers and sellers are gonna be a bit closer and you get a little bit more on price expectations. And so you get a little bit uh, 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 more deal activity that way. Yeah, flex would seem to be something that uh, investors might uh, have a real interest in as some of these companies um, maybe want to move their offices uh, into more of their kind of warehouse type properties and kind of combine things maybe and kind of that hub and spoke. And, you know, you think about flex, you, you're, you're typically one, one floor, right? So you don't have to get on the elevators and things like that. What do you expect for, for volume and, and cap rates moving forward in the industrial world? Yeah, yeah, the moving forward, it's going to be interesting. Uh, volume for the year to date, volume for the industrial sector is actually up a little bit because of uh, Prologis buying Liberty Property Trust early in the year. You strip that deal out, and you know, like every other property sector, the industrial sector would see falling volume for the year to date. And I think that's just going to continue uh, for a little bit. There's still some uncertainty out there about just how much longer uh, the COVID uh, crisis is around and how much longer it's going to wear on economic activity. Uh, I mean, there is the, the, the positive for the industrial sector of people shopping online, and this crisis has probably only accelerated that demand as people see that, you know, it is pretty easy to have everything ordered and delivered. Uh, but you know, even though there's that future that everybody understands industrial will do well with, and when the economy shrinks by a third, you're still taking a lot of consumption, a lot of activity out, and that's going to hurt industrial. So the the in the near term, you know, there's going to be some challenges, but I don't think it translates to uh, a lot of transaction activity in the near term uh, in terms of um, uh, you know changes there because you know you have some owners who might be a little bit distressed but industrial is probably uh, less so than other sectors so there's not going to be that risk of people uh, facing as much of a challenge where they have to give up the property and uh, loans go bad um, and so in a weird way that's going to limit transaction activity yeah, I think I think we'll see in other property sectors uh, pretty soon a, a bit of a surge in transaction activity 
as as people who are underwater give up the ghost and return properties to the bank and uh, work forward that way. You know, it's not going to have that same kind of pressure for industrial. Yeah, yeah. Pricing, that makes... you know, I think the same forces are at play. You know, the, there's been a shift in investor preference to industrial, and I think it simply continues. It's uh, uh, I, I saw some stats on e-commerce within within just a few months. We shifted the share of U.S. consumer activity uh, uh, to e-commerce versus in-person. It uh, took 10 years worth of growth. Uh, it happened in just a few months. Uh, so it's something that uh, there, there is clear demand for industrial property. And that's something that uh, it's, it's going to continue to be in those kind of uh, low cap rates uh, moving forward. Yeah. Well, as a broker, I'm certainly seeing a lot of demand uh, for all types of commercial properties. And when you talk about volume, um, it seems like it's hard to do business with so many people working from home and you're trying to get things done in the business world today really just seems so much more difficult, you know, take away that people don't want to get on flights as much and, and, and move around and, and be around each other. But just even the people working from home, it seems like it's very difficult to get business done. So even when we have buyers and sellers that want to do transactions, seems like things move like molasses sometimes. Um, and you, and you mentioned that there's a, a not much distress in industrial, but is, is there's a little bit, right? Oh yeah. There's, there's some, um, you know, you know, even in normal times, there's always some sort of distress. Somebody runs into pro trouble with the property, um, you know, their, their leasing expectations were overinflated and then they have a capital event. Uh, you know, those, the, you know, so there's always some sort of distress, but compared to other property sectors, you know, we just don't see, um, as much of a problem for industrial. Okay. How about new supply, uh, Jim has, um, what have you seen there? Has COVID slowed, slowed, uh, slowed down the new supply levels any in industrial? You know, that's, uh, that's something that we track. It's not something that, um, I thought to, to take a, a good look at ahead of time. It's something that um, uh, most of our discussions have always been around capital issues. Right, so, right. no worries. You know, just it seems like the uh, other development deals I see that we're involved with around the Southeast, um, it seems like none of those have slowed down. It seems like the, the developers, the lenders, the investors, the equity believe that by the time these properties uh, are delivered that everything's going to be great again. Yeah, and, and frankly, you know, the, the you know, when you're when you're doing a development, you're making some sort of a bet on future economic activity. That you know, six months from now, when this thing is ready, uh, what's it going to look like? And uh, so, you know, the development is always risky. Uh, you know, it, it is the case though that uh, even though you know we're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, the the industrial sector is still needed as a place to store goods, so that those uh, Consumers who are still shopping somehow, um, you know, can have uh, those products delivered. It's got to, the products have to live somewhere, and you know that industrial space is the place. Yeah, and before we let you go, and ask you a quick question, uh, you're there in uh, in New York, in the city there. Uh, what's it like there um, uh, today? You know, it's been interesting. Uh, the city is opening up more. Uh, there are one one uh, development that I've been particularly pleased with 
is restaurants are starting to reopen for dining, but not, not inside. They've been taking parking spaces away and building uh, outdoor seating in the street. And it's uh, certain areas, it's given the city a very European flavor. Uh, and frankly, you know, there's some areas of Little Italy I was walking through and I, I'm just thinking to myself, why hasn't it always been like this? Yeah. So yeah, there's, I mean, it, it is clear though that the city, uh, a number of uh, uh, people who, you know, like myself, you know, don't have deep roots here and can pick up and go anywhere. They've clearly left for now and you know, maybe, you know, run off to the place in the Hamptons or up in upstate New York and just work from there since everyone's working remotely. Um, myself, I haven't. I guess I'm just too stubborn and uh, uh, just sticking around uh, New York to the bitter end. Yeah, well, it's an exciting place to be, so I don't blame you. And it's and it's nice to see the uh, restaurants open. Um, I'm very tired of my own cooking, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I've realized that, and my son has realized I'm I'm not that I'm a good cook once a week, but uh, more than that, it's tough. Well, Jim, thanks for joining us, sir. We appreciate uh, your insight as usual. Uh, thank you. Hey, great talking to you. All right, and well, stay tuned. We're going to have more uh, on the industrial market and uh, talk to a, a developer who is doing some uh, interesting industrial developments, doing more infill, more last mile, which I think is a very interesting thing to look at. So stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Site selection, marketing, and property due diligence has just changed. Check out Vista Property Report slash CRE Show. That's Vista Property Report slash CRE Show. Use promo code CRE Show. You will love this product. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. All right, welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by Commercial Agent Success Strategies. Check it out. It is the ultimate in training for commercial brokers. The website is commercialagentsuccess.com. Well, today we're talking about industrial real estate, and surely everyone is understanding and appreciating that industrial real estate has done uh, has been doing extremely well, uh, especially in this kind of new economy, if you will. And one of the things that's really interesting about industrial is people getting closer to the cities and everybody wanting everything now. Right? You go online, you want something now, and you want it tomorrow. And as the uh, industrial real estate world starts to kind of help out with that. It's kind of interesting to see kind of the infill, the close in, the last mile, these sorts of projects and, and how different they are than the, you know, million square foot uh, uh, centers out uh, outside of town. Well, please welcome my guest. It's Greg Pearson. He's with Centerpoint Properties, and they're an industrial investor and development firm. Uh, they're, uh, I guess you're headquartered out in Los Angeles. Is that right, Greg? 
That's right. Hey, everyone. Greg Pearson from Centerpoint. Michael, thanks for having me on the show. Well, great, Greg. Well, thank you for being on. And uh, let's talk about that kind of last mile type of, of property. You know, we, we, as I mentioned in the opening, everybody wants everything now, right? <laughs> we want to get it on our computer. Right. It's, like the, it's like the Jetsons, right? Which just needs to appear. So you guys are helping with some of those sort of infill type of uh, projects, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, it's really exciting. At Centerpoint, we, uh, we focus on what I'll call gateway markets. Myself, I'm responsible for uh, Los Angeles or Southern California, the San Francisco area and Seattle, Tacoma, and all three of those markets are unified by a, a demand and a want for things now faster and faster, which has made my job exciting as, as we help people reinvent these supply chains and take traditionally the, the warehouse use that you hid behind the airport and move it closer to the, the main street and and try to help cities and users reinvent how they, they think about industrial warehousing and, and hopefully try to create some uh, sales tax base out of it while we're doing it. And how do you do that, Greg, as far as help getting the municipalities and the, uh, the NIMBYs, not in my backyard, uh, to agree to have you know, an industrial facility uh, in town like that? That's a great question. I think, um, you know, as we continue to work on the edges of historic industrial zones, and as I'm thinking about Southern California, so much of the industrial base was originally dedicated towards World War II efforts, and then the kind of manufacturing boom of that followed. We're now transitioning those types of projects into um, distribution, which it, every every time we're working with the city, it's it's really on a bespoke basis. As you know, every city has their own flavoring and and point of view about how to arrange trucks and trip counts. So I I wish there was a template because I I would like to say I've done a hundred of them, but every single one's unique and different, and most importantly revolves around what the what the local constituents want, and more importantly, what kind of jobs we're we're looking to bring to the community. And are you building some of these facilities new, or are you can converting older buildings? Uh, how, how are you doing it? It's a, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, we do both development and acquisition. Uh, a lot, we like to say that we, we buy the B's and we build the A's, and every project that we participate in is unified by a location, and most importantly, a location that's either tied to a, a large consumption center and or tied to a large deep water or inland port. And when I say inland port, I'm talking about a rail, rail intermodal, like what we have outside of Chicago and Joliet. But when we can find the two in one location, LA is, is really the poster child for that, where you have a 20 person or 20 million person consumption base complemented by the largest deep water port complex in the United States. It, it really aligns well for a, um, a hybrid of e-commerce and port infrastructure traffic. And, and Greg, when you're doing these more infill type of uh, properties, um, these buildings are a little bit smaller, right, than, than what we think of as some of these big million square foot facilities? That's right. And the difference also is all these buildings are, are really designed for what we call throughput, which is your ability to move products through the facility on a rapid basis. And the types of tenants who work in this intel environment are getting paid for throughput, meaning the warehouse can turn over as, as rapidly as every six hours. Just to give you an example, the, the classical warehouse that we all think of that's a million square feet out in, in relatively the middle of nowhere, that may turn over once every six months. So it's, it's really 
predicated on being able to move goods faster, which is, again, to answer your question of, I want to order a toothbrush and I want it at my house in two hours. And what size are these infill facilities? Uh, what's the range you see? The range is everything from, we've done projects as small as 10,000 feet to uh, projects closer to a million square feet. And once you get up towards the larger end of that scale, meaning closer to the million square foot mark, there's, there's a real intrinsic value to being able to offer that type of bulk format in an infill environment. If, if you can just think of any major city being able to assemble 50 acres, it, it's a monumental effort. So the opportunity to offer that type of format really uh, achieves a premium, or at least has in, over the last five or six years. Are multi-story industrial facilities, logistics centers uh, a reality? Yeah, I think, like it or not, they, they definitely are, um, they're definitely a reality, and they're definitely coming and becoming more widely adopted across the country. I know there's a number of great projects going, around, going on around the country. Um, I, myself, am kind of sitting back like it sounds like you are just to see how it, uh, it plays out, I think. Our format, because it's so port-driven, really puts a large, large emphasis on parking and ability to store excess equipment, containers, and trailers in the parking lot. So it hasn't necessarily been invented to such a degree where we can kind of transpose our sort of ideal building, but things are moving quick and and land value is certainly moving up. So it's only going to put more and more pressure on that multi-story concept. And Greg, these more infill type of industrial facilities, um, how many more employees do they typically have compared to, you know, those large million square footers out in the boonies? You know, it's hard to say just because like any office operation, every logistics operation is, is totally unique. What I'm seeing is more and more folks folding in their office requirement into the warehouse footprint. Um, which I think makes a lot of sense in the narrative of COVID having a kind of controlled environment outside of the, the kind of conventional high-rise office building. I think it's also a nice way uh, to justify the occupancy expense where you may be paying $36 a foot to be in an office building and be paying $12 a foot to be in a warehouse. It, you could fold that $36 requirement into the warehouse and and really get a nice, well-articulated office that is customized to your operation. And as far as the municipalities go, the governments there, um, what's the benefit to them? I know they, that when there's retail, they'd rather see retail. They'd rather see more office workers, kind of more jobs and more employees. You know, what do you say to the municipalities uh, about the benefits of doing infill industrial? Well, our, our focus is always on supporting our local communities as, as we uh, look for sites and buildings to invest in. And, and that's always going to, first and foremost, come in the form of job creation, which um, more often than not is an out. If you look at the density of employee in these infill locations, it's going to logically be higher than any secondary and tertiary location. So we always try to quantify and and take the position that we're, we're bringing jobs and with jobs come tax revenue and with tax revenue comes a way to, to offset potentially some retailers closing or whatever it may be. And to the extent we can participate in this transition of kind of power center retail into the industrial kind of format where 
we're always looking and have a couple projects going where we're we're working with cities to get that done so it's it's pretty dynamic I, I i always would laugh because when i was in school people would say you want to do industrial that's the the least dynamic that's like the the d squad and dodgeball and i and i always fire back at those folks and i say it's it's got to be the most dynamic of all of them because if you think about the office experience or multifamily experience it's relatively static over the last 200 years whereas walking into an industrial building even five years after they built it, it's, it's already quote unquote dated. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Greg, you want to work with the guys who have dirty shoes? <laughs> Industrial. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a good way to wear a t-shirt to work and a pair of boots. And, and I always tell people it's, it's an opportunity to, to open up the hood of the U S economy because we work with the, the sock guy and we work with the spoon guy and we work with, with the gal that's importing TVs. So, you really get a, a pulse for what's, what's kind of coming in the economy as you see things moving in and out of the country. And Greg, are some of these uh, malls that are uh, dying and some of the shopping centers, um, regional and otherwise shopping centers that are dying, are, are those potential sites for uh, infill industrial? Yeah, I think um, definitely. I, the, the short answer is we hope so, but it's really as nuanced as trying to understand what the city may need. I know um, there's an emphasis on housing and affordable housing. So we always, we always want to make sure that those types of uses are fulfilled and the cities are always certainly going to make sure those uses are fulfilled, but there, there is a way to, to work industrial and distribution into the ecosystem and, and getting things quickly is, is important, especially as, as you think about your ability to get things like medication and things that you might not necessarily be able to get all at once, but in the format of one of the, the big online retailers, you can get it in you know two, three hours, which, which helps people. And, and it's, it's a positive thing. It creates jobs and the cities as they reconcile how to manage things like truck traffic and, and so forth, it, it's, it will be positive for us. And any, any of these uh, infill locations uh, talk to you about uh, existing or future uh, drone deliveries from these facilities? Yeah, it's fun to talk to talk about at a cocktail party, but I haven't seen it uh, seen it come in come to fruition yet. But I uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not too far off. Yeah, well, good. Well, Greg, uh, what would you leave our audience with around the country to think about? Uh, where we are today uh, related to industrial real estate moving forward? Well, I'll, I'll begin with my self-fulfilling tagline, which is keep ordering your things online. <laughs> um, as, as we continue to, for, continue to order things online, it's just going to make the experience that much better, and it's just going to make the, the delivery time that much shorter. So continue, please, to con uh, working online. All right, Greg. We'll do it, sir. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I love the podcast. I've been listening for a long time. Thanks again. Excellent. Thank you. And that was Greg Pearson with Centerpoint Properties joining us. And uh, hey, let us know what you think. We appreciate hearing from you and your comments on social media. We appreciate you sharing the show and we love hearing from you. So do reach out to us. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show.
appreciate the show? Consider referring business or doing business with our sponsors. Bull Realty is a commercial real estate sales, leasing, and advisory firm doing business throughout the Southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com for more information. Vista Property Report slash CRE Show. Incredible analysis using smartphone technology. Commercial Agent Success Strategies provides video training for commercial agents. This training gets five-star reviews from even the most experienced brokers. Learn more at CommercialAgentSuccess.com. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And at the show website, CREshow.com, you can subscribe for a weekly email announcing the show topic and guest. While you're there, you also found more videos and podcasts. Thank you for watching or listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show.